One of the things that uh, Bob Fu was talking about, uh, who uh, Ryan mentioned, the, the guy from China Aid who was speaking last week, if you didn't get a chance to hear Bob's sermon, man, I urge you to go and listen to that sermon. All you got to do is get out your phone, get your app, and go to the app, and at the bottom of the app, there's a, a little tab that says resources. Just hit that resource button, and then you'll see where it says uh, sermons. I, I don't know what that guy's doing there, but he just looks like he's, I don't know, he's lost. But uh, hit sermons, and then uh, go to sermons 2021 on the top, and after four short clicks, you are listening to the International Day of Prayer message by Dr. Bob Fu. So I'd love for you to do that because you'll hear more about who Bob is, but not just about who Bob is, but about the persecuted church, and what's going on in the world. Vicki and I had a chance to share a meal with Bob after he spoke, and uh, he started to talk a little bit more about kind of his background and his history. And some of you know a little bit about Tenement Square. In the late 80s, there was a, a protest that happened, mostly among college students who were trying to have some reforms in the Communist Party take place. And Bob said, you know, at that time, we weren't necessarily trying to necessarily overthrow communism. We were just trying to see communism in a way that was a little more healthy and, and a little bit more uh, kind of focused on the people. And, um, and, and when his role in that uh, kind of was to be a leader, to motivate people, and he was very passionate and really believed, actually, that that, that was kind of his call in life, that he was supposed to be the one to kind of help lead China in this new way of using communism. And, uh, and when 10,000 students were massacred and the whole thing kind of fell apart, you know, Bob started to spiral, he said. You know, I, I'd placed my hope in all this stuff, and now everything was in despair, and everything was hopeless. And, uh, and what he said was really interesting. He said, I went back to my campus, and um, the English teacher, uh, who he said, most English teachers in Chinese universities are American missionaries. And he he called me into the office, and we started to talk, and, uh, and I ta started to explain my discouragement at what had happened, and, and he pointed me to the real hope, which is Jesus, and I became a Christian. And he said, and I entered into the, uh, the persecuted heartbeat of a believer in China, in the, the persecuted heartbeat and experience of a believer in China. He, he, he said last week, he said, you know, when you take college courses, you know, you don't usually choose the hard ones if you don't have to. I was a marketing major. You, there is no way I'm taking Calculus 3, right? But here he is. He said, you know, in, in the Chinese church, you can, you can choose very few things. One of the things, though, you have to take in his mind, he's saying this, is persecution because that's what's going to happen to you. And, um, and that's the kind of environment that the people who Peter, in our series, 1 Peter, if you have your Bibles, turn to chapter 4. We're going to be at the end of 4 and the early part of chapter 5. That's the, kind of, that's the kind of experience that was going on in Asia Minor and around the Roman Empire at this time. Kind of the same thing. If you were a believer in Christ, you were entering into a persecution experience. That was absolutely almost assured. If you were, going to, if you were really going to live for Jesus, if you were really going to talk about it, if you were really going to be the kind of believer that the Word of God tells you to be, you were going to, expace, uh, you were going to face persecution. In, in fact, one of the things that last week's text, which is the one Bob preached from, says, believers, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you. So here we were, here they were, 
engaging in this process of, in, of persecution and engaging in this experience of persecution. And, uh, and, and by, the Bible was telling them, Peter was telling them, the Lord was telling them, hey, you can expect that because the world is against you. And then in verse 19, he kind of summarizes. Peter, the writer of this, kind of summarizes the whole thing through, the, through the, the revelation of the Holy Spirit. He says, therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. Let me just kind of break that down for just a minute because I think it's super important. Here's what Peter's saying. After he tells them about uh, enduring suffering, he says, therefore... Those of you who are in the midst of this persecution, let me remind you something. Don't be surprised because it's, it's, it's God's plan. It's part of what's happening. When, when God introduced this countercultural, this counterintuitive experience with him that comes by admitting your own sin and relying on the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ to deliver you from that and then making him your king, that is going to bring about suffering. Now, here's what you should do as you are in in the midst of that suffering. He says, entrust your soul, the eternal part of who you are. Entrust your soul. And, and And he almost says it like to a, there might be a multitude of faithful creators out there, but, but what he's saying is to trust your soul to the faithful creator to the one who put this whole thing into place, to the one who's given you salvation, who inspires you and gives you a hope. Put your trust in him because he is working his plan. Do you believe that? Yes, you gotta believe that. Let me give you some experience why you should believe that. Think about what Bob said last week. He was talking about how from 1800 to 1949, literally hundreds, maybe thousands of missionaries from America and uh, Western Europe went to China. Eric Little, remember the, the guy from Chariots of Fire who, who raced for Great Britain in the four, and won the gold medal in the 400 meter? And, and the only reason he won the gold medal in the 400 meter is because his more favored race, which was the 100 meter, was to take place on Sunday. And because he was a believer in Jesus Christ, he wouldn't run on Sunday. He would work well at Chick-fil-A. <laughs> right? Now that's a passion that he had. And that's what he did. But, uh, but even more passionate than just keeping some rule about when he's going to run and not run is he gave his life to the mission of the, of the gospel in China. He got on a boat in 1925 and died there sometime around 1945 or 1950. Now, there were hundreds of people who gave their life to taking the gospel to mainland China. And more than 700,000 people in those 150 years came to Jesus. A a country that literally had no believers in it went from about zero to someplace near a million believers in that time because of thousands or hundreds, maybe thousands of missionaries who went there. But then Bob said something interesting. Since 1949, when Chairman Mao and the Communist Party took over, and began to crush the church systematically. The church has grown from 1 million to 130 million. (laughs) I think we should be supporting persecution, not missionaries, right? No, I'm just joking. 
But you get the picture, right? Because God, somehow, in the midst of that persecution, what was happening? What was happening was verse 19 of chapter 4. God was working his plan. Entrust your soul to the fact that God has a plan bigger than you. Entrust your soul to the fact that even in the midst of the most difficult suffering, and even if it's not persecution, even if it's just something that's come about because of financial stuff or relational stuff or health stuff, whatever suffering that you're enduring, would you let God use it to build his kingdom? That's the context that Peter is ending his letter with. And, and as he ends his letter, what he does is he speaks into the life of the leaders of that church. And he wants to remind them that you've got a role in developing your sheep so that they can entrust their souls in the midst of suffering to believe and honor God, to depend on him, to fight with him, to move in his direction because God will finish his work. So Peter gives some encouragement to the elders of the church. I mean, elders. Those are the ones who God has appointed to lead the church. And he says this in verse 1 of chapter 5, So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the suffering of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you. Exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you. Not for shameful gain, but eagerly. Not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you'll receive the unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourself, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, and under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time, he might exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. What, what Peter's going to do in this passage is to say to these elders, whether, whether your congregation, whether the, whether the church that you're responsible for is going through the darkest times of persecution or maybe they're going through a period of, uh, you know, great joy, what, whatever, whatever period of time that they're going through, there's a certain responsibility that elders have. There's a certain responsibility, a, a way in which elders are supposed to do the work that God has called them to. And I'll tell you, I've made my way through this passage now twice already this morning and several times throughout the week. And one of the things that strikes me as I read it is a lot of conviction and a lot of fear as an elder. And a lot of, and a lot of wondering about my own situation and, and how I actually operate and trying to hold myself accountable to this. And, and so in many ways, I, I preach a sermon to myself in front of you, which is always like heart-wrenching and nerve-wracking. But, but I also want you to know a couple things about this morning. While I'm encouraging us as elders to walk in a certain way, I'm also encouraging you and me as a church person to put ourselves under the right kind of leadership. There is so much bad leadership leading us in wrong directions in so many places, and so many of us, me included at times, run headlong 
under that authority and leadership of another person. And I, I want to urge you, if nothing else, to evaluate the leadership, the spiritual leadership that you've put yourself under by the criteria that, that uh, Peter is laying out right here. Peter's going to tell us a few things about this leadership. He's, going to, he's, he's telling us these things. He's saying that, that, um, that, that an elder or a shepherd has certain characteristics or certain ways that, uh, that they're supposed to lead. And, and there's, he talks about the inspiration of the leader. He talks about the responsibility of the leader. He talks about the motive of the leader. He talks about the rewards of the leader. And he talks about uh, the, the posture that a leader is supposed to take. And I, and I want to ask you, if you're an elder... Are you this person? If you're not an elder, have you put yourself under people like this? That's really important for you to think through today. So let's begin with that whole idea of inspiration. Look back at verse 1 of chapter 5 where Peter says, I exhort the elders among you as a dear fellow elder and a witness of the suffering of Christ and as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Here's what he says. You know, elders have a clear understanding of their inspiration for why they do what they do. And that inspiration is basically twofold. A clear picture of who Jesus Christ is and a clear picture of what the gospel is. Look back. He says a clear picture of who Jesus was. Peter was a witness to the suffering of Jesus Christ, right? I mean, he was a literal witness to the suffering of Jesus Christ. He's the one or one of the ones who actually experienced the Son of God the second member of the triune Godhead who, who was willing on our behalf and at the Father's plan to take on flesh. That's the first thing. That Jesus Christ, you have a clear picture of who Jesus Christ, Peter did. He knew that Peter had, or that Jesus had taken on this flesh of, of humanity. It, it didn't affect his deity. It, in fact, it, it, he fully became human as a divine God. And he, 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 those two things came together in perfect unity. And Jesus Christ not only, not only was in that perfect incarnation, but he chose to come and dwell among us and live among us and experience the things that we experienced. You know, can you imagine what that must have been like for the God of the universe to enter in and to live with us? To live with the people that he had created for a very particular purpose. That he had created to live in a very particular way. That he had created to live with joy and power and strength and, and, and love. And he was coming down in the midst of a rebellious people who had turned their back on everything that he was. And, and that in enough, that in itself would have been enough for me to say, I have no interest in dwelling with you, but Jesus did. And not only did he have an interest in dwelling with you, but he was willing to see the pain and the suffering that we all go through. I mean, you know, you, you, you hear that thing about the, about the fostering collective, that, that one adolescent girl, that one teenage girl has been in foster care for over uh, 900 and something days. That's not the way things are supposed to be. You know, Jesus would see that and be, I mean, be heartbroken. I mean, I, my eyes well up with tears when I see that. Imagine what the God of the universe thinks about the pain and the suffering that he saw. Do you have a clear picture as a leader in this church? Leaders need a clear picture of who they are serving as their God, Jesus. Leaders in this church need to have a, a clear picture that, uh, that God loves them 
And God loves his church. And it is his church. Look at verse 2. We're supposed to shepherd the flock of God. Man, I, I always feel uncomfortable when somebody walks up to me at a restaurant and says, how are things going at your church? And I'm like, uh, first of all, I have no idea how they're going because everybody's spiritual life is pretty much lived you know, inside them. I mean, I have an idea of what's going on in some people's lives, but, you know, to measure that, it's really hard. But more importantly, it's not my church, right? This is not Doug's church. This is not an elder's church. This is Jesus's church, right? This is, this is his business. You know, that's never more apparent than, uh, than when we're trying to figure out as a church elder and staff what to do next in terms of ministry and life. Because, uh, because we need his direction. You know, this week is a big week at our church. Uh, there are staff and elders that are meeting together to, to begin a new process of uh, kind of a mission alignment, a strategic plan for what our next 10 or so years looks like. And, uh, and that's super important. I mean, we know, we know we're not changing like what our purpose is we know that God calls us to be and make disciples and what does that mean it causes us it calls us to be people who love God in other words worship God who who love each other in the church who are deeply engaged with one another in community and who and who love more people who are on the mission of the gospel that's what a disciple is a disciple loves God loves the people of the body and loves more people. In other words, loves those who are not yet connected to the body. And, and what we're doing as a church is trying to, trying to help people, help ourselves and you and everyone become better at loving God, loving people, and loving more people. That's what a disciple does. Now, we're not changing that. What we're looking at is how do we as a church, a, a whole organization, Grace Community Church, Grace Community School, Grace Community Early Education. How does, that, how does that all work together so that we effectively make disciples who make disciples for the next 10 years? What does it look like in this culture? What does it look like in the, in the uh, resources that God's given us? What does it look like in the, in the way the opportunities are coming about? And, and we as a staff and elders have been praying for the last month every Wednesday fasting and praying about that because we think it's so important to depend on the leader of the church to give us direction. And I think it's important that you as the church enter in and pray with us about that. And so one of the ways, the one things I'm going to ask you to do is to pray over the next few weeks about being re- us being responsive to the leadership of the Holy Spirit and our Lord and Savior Jesus but I also wanted to take a minute and have one of our elders, Jason Cook, pray for us as a church. Jason, would you please do that from where you're standing? Let's pray. Holy Father in heaven, we praise your name because you are good and because you are faithful. And we exalt the name of Christ our King over our hearts and over this church and over this city. And we pray that as we look for your Holy Spirit's guidance and how we move forward in being disciples and making disciples in 
being faithful as stewards over the resources and opportunities you give us. God, I pray that you would grant us the spirit of wisdom and of grace and of truth. God, I pray that you would help us to be faithful in maintaining the bond of unity that you have established among us. God, as we have conversations, as people use their different gifts, as people see different things about how we can move forward, as we have differences of opinion, God, I pray that you would help us to be submissive to one another. God, I pray that your grace would overflow from each of us in our conversations and in our prayers. God, I pray that you would give us grace as we communicate with one another and with our congregation, God, that you would allow all of us to experience your goodness and your direction and your spirit's presence among us. God, I pray that your unity would, would propel us into the next decade of what you are doing in our midst. God, give us the spirit of humility. Guard us from pride. Guard us from arrogance. Guard us from worldly ambition. Guard us from trying to appease the culture of this generation. God, let us be focused on what Christ our King is doing. And God, let us be faithful to him first and above everything else. God, we pray that your spirit would continue to stir us with a passion for what's driving you. God, we depend on your mercy. God, we depend on your grace. God, there is a, a way that seems right to humans, but God, that is not necessarily the spiritual wisdom that we're seeking. And Lord, your word says that anyone who desires wisdom should seek it, and you would give it in abundance. And so God, we plead for the wisdom that comes from heaven. God, give us your wisdom in abundance. Give us the courage to walk in the direction that you lead us. God, help us to be faithful in everything you call us to. And God, as we submit the little that we have to you, God, I pray that you would multiply it like a few loaves and fishes, God, that you would magnify your name in our midst, that you would magnify your name in our hearts, that you would magnify the name of your son Jesus over East Texas. God, we pray for the elders and the pastors and the staff because we're accountable to you because we have such a great burden. And God, we acknowledge our own weaknesses. God, we acknowledge that we fall short in so many ways. So have mercy on us, Lord. God, have mercy on us, Lord. Have mercy on us and help us to be faithful to you. <coughs> Father, implant in our hearts a burning desire to walk in the way of Christ so that your name would be glorified, so that your name would be exalted, and so that your will would be, would be done in our hearts and in our lives and in our church, even as it's done in heaven. Father, all of these things we pray in the mighty name of Jesus Christ, our Savior and King. Amen. Peter, thank you, Jason. Peter had a particular, peculiar, unique experience of being in the presence of Jesus Christ. So it was easy, in some senses, to be able to, to, to be motivated to be this kind of leader, to be motivated to be dependent on the leader of the church. It was somewhat easy for Peter to do that, but let me just explain one thing. Peter did see him physically and personally, but we get to experience him in just the same way through his word. 
and through the power of the Holy Spirit that lives inside of us, we get to experience the same thing. And leaders of the churches need to be motivated, inspired by a vision of who Jesus is that's a church leader. But, he, but they also have to be inspired by the fact that there's a gospel, a future. Look what he says in verse, at the end of verse 1. He says, I'm also a partaker in the glory that is coming to be revealed. That means that he is a, a follower of Jesus Christ who has placed his faith in Jesus and who is going to experience what Jesus is bringing forth in the future at his second coming. And it's the gospel, we used to say all the time around here that you got to preach the gospel to yourself every day, not because you needed to be resaved every time you sin. That's a, that's a bad theology, and that's, that's not the way the Scripture preaches theology, especially about forgiveness. It's a once forgiven, once done experience. Jesus' sacrifice is, is particularly and perfectly uh, able to handle every sin. And so once for all, you've been forgiven if you've trusted him as your savior. But the reminder of that is something I preach to myself every day. But the grace of God, right? There we go. Unless God had broken in, I'm lost. I'm dead. I'm, I'm not just in trouble. I'm ruined. And that should drive a leader's inspiration to be a part of leading his church. Now, what is that? look like? What, is, what are the roles? What's the, what's the responsibility? Because Peter says that too. Shepherd the flock is what he says. Shepherd the flock of God that's among you, exercising oversight. Care for the flock. Advent's coming up, right? And many of you do this. You, you have a, a manger scene. We used to, when the kids were little, we used to hide all the, the, the characters of the manger scene. Jesus would be revealed on the last day. The kids would have to go and find him. And one of the ones they loved to find was the shepherd with the lamb around his neck, right? Because what was the shepherd doing? Caring for a broken down lamb. And, and that's, what the, that's what God calls the shepherd, the overseer, the elder, the pastor, to do, to care for the flock, to come alongside people who are hurting, come alongside people who are in trouble, whatever trouble is in their lives, whether it's persecution, whether it's relational trial, whether it's financial stuff, whether it's health stuff, whether it's trying to figure out what the future holds for them, whatever trial, whatever struggle, there's a, there's a place. One of the things that I feel like sometimes over the years, and, and this is a maybe true confessions in leadership have kind of led us as a church maybe more towards just into the battle of the mission, right? You know, let's take this hill. Let's go after it. Let's be, let's be the people of God on the mission of the gospel. You know what? Let's just take that next, grab that neighborhood, take that country. Let's do this ministry. Let's share our faith with people. And, um, and we have to do that. But we also have to remember that all of us are struggling. And so there has to be a combination of the battle with the hospital, right? We, we've got we to care for people. We've got to love people. We've got to come alongside people. We've got to bring people up. We've got to encourage them. We've got to keep them moving in the right direction. One of the ways we're going to do that this week, and you can pray for this as well, we're, we're going to call people who have not been engaged at our church for the last two years. You know, over the COVID thing, we, we called the church a couple times, tried to, as many people as we could get a hold of, and uh, just tried to connect with them. One of the things that we want to express to people is that we care about them. We, we, we have a sense that most of those people are not connected in another church. 
most of those people have just kind of fallen off the radar. And, 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 and everybody knows that if you're not connected to a local body and you fall off the radar, man, your spiritual life is in peril. I mean, it's not like, it's not like you're going to totally fall apart or whatever, but man, I need the body. You need the body. We need accountability. We need to be using our gifts together, and we need all of them. And so we're going we're gonna to reach out. We're going to find out. And so I, I urge you to, to pray for that. But by the way... Um, if you happen to get a call, um, that's a bug in our database. That's not because, you know, don't get angry. I've been engaged for the last two years. Why are you calling me? It's just a, we just messed that up, all right? So I'm, I'm apologizing in advance if you get a call that says, hey, we haven't seen you in a couple of years. Well, I'm there every Sunday, right? Or I'm involved in a small group every week, right? What, whatever. You know, just, just give us a little grace in that sense. But that's, what, that, that's one of the things. That's one of the ways that, that the church cares, right? We, we love people and we want to care for people. So our role and responsibility is to shepherd the flock, to care for them, but also to move them in the right direction. You know, uh, in the first century, what was a shepherd supposed to do with sheep? They were basically preparing them for one of three things. They were going to be sheep that were sheared, sheep that would become lamb chops, or sheep that would be sacrificed to the living God. And, uh, and they were developing those sheep to those ends. What are we doing as a church? We're developing each other to the end of being and making disciples. People who are loving God more, loving each other more, and loving the world more. That's, that's what disciples do. And the, the shepherds are moving people in that direction. That's what we're called to do. And how are we called to do it? What does it look like? Well, look at verse 3. He says it's, it's done not under compulsion, but willingly. That means, it, it, that means that you're not doing it because you feel like you've got to do it to earn God's favor. I mean, you are compelled. I, I am compelled by the gospel to speak the word of truth to you. I'm compelled by the gospel and by the, my, my vision of who Jesus Christ is in my life and in the world to bring that hope to the rest of the world. I'm compelled in that sense, but I'm not compelled in the sense of having to do this so that God is pleased with me. Peter's saying, you're supposed to do this, not, not under compulsion, but under the, the service of a living God. You're supposed to do this not because you're going to have shameful gain. In other words, not that you're going to get personal benefit, money, you know, success, uh, prestige, all those things you get when you're a pastor, um, right? It's not, that's not, he said, that's not what you're getting. That's not why you're signing up for this. What you're signing up for is to do this with urgency because the days are short. You need to put yourself under leadership that believes that the days are short, and this is an urgent proposition. The older I get, the more I realize how urgent this actually is, that people literally are leaving this earth without the gospel, and I have interacted with them regularly, and I did not help them get to the place of knowing the gospel. That has to become more of part of my life, and yours too. Look what else he says. Don't be domineering. There's a lot of people. I've been listening to so much about church leadership recently, and there is so much about abusive, controlling power in the church, and it makes me sick. It's just, it's, it's horrific. 
And, uh, and if you're sitting under a, a, an authoritative, power-hungry, arrogant leader, man, you're in the wrong spot. And I, and I pray that that is not anything that you experience here from any pastor, staff person, or elder. Because that's not the kind of people that God calls into this job. He says this. He says, not only do you have to understand kind of what your motive is and what your posture is, but you also have to understand that the reward isn't going to happen now. I mean, I get to see some really cool things, right? I get to see some really cool life changes happen. I, 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 I get to be a part of, of marriages being healed. I get to be a part of lives being touched. I, I get to be a part of trying to walk people into, but, but you know what? The real reward is coming in the future. Let's look at verse 5, would you please? Likewise, uh, verse 6. Yeah. Maybe not. Let me look at my Bible. That would be better. Yeah, that would be so much better if I looked at my Bible. Let's look at verse 4 again, which is where we were originally. Sorry. And when the chief shepherd appears, here's what you'll get. You'll receive the unfading crown of glory. Here's what that speaks to me. Here's how this speaks to me. I'm not working. An elder shouldn't be working for what they're going to get in this world. I was thinking through this so much this week and this morning as I was praying about the service and uh, thinking about this very particular verse. I had a flashback to a few weeks ago. Many of you know that I was able to, had the opportunity to do a race that I'd been really, that had kind of overwhelmed my life for 40 years of wanting to do it. And, uh, and, I, and I got a chance to finish that race. And as I was coming through the chute of, that's the, the, the end and the finish line, um, Vicky was about 10 yards past the, uh, I mean, I get, choked up just thinking about it. She was about 10 yards past the finish line. And this is something, she's known me for 36 years. We've been talking about this for 36 years. And, uh, and her, she broke into tears. I broke into tears. And I just, we just grabbed each other for about three minutes. You know, I acted like I am right now. And this morning I thought, how that was such a sweet moment. But how much sweeter is that going to be when we go through the finishing shoot of our lives and the Savior of the world, the King of the world, the, the leader of this church, my best friend, is standing at the end of that. We need to be, as a church, under leaders who are inspired by their experience and vision of the king, who are, who are so passionate about the gospel that it keeps them awake at night, who, who, are, who understand what it means to shepherd the flock and all the stuff and the ugliness of it, who, uh, who, are, who are absolutely in this for the right reasons, and who get the idea that they're running towards their Savior who will give them whatever reward they deserve. As a church, 
the next 10 years for us is critical. And I don't want to overstate that, but I do believe it. We need each other to be humble, to be connected to the mission of the gospel, and to be led in a biblical way. And I'm grateful that we get a chance to do this together with the men who serve us as elders, but also with all of us who are, whose God has called to be on this mission as Grace Community. Let's pray together. God, thank you for your love for us, your grace in our life, for the power that is the gospel and the moving nature of what you're trying to do in us. I pray, God, that you would please help us to love you more and to be connected to you better. In Jesus' name, amen.